One of the childhood stories that my mother read me when I was a little boy, and I still have distinct memories of this. It uh, was one of, one of my favorite books to go through, and I, I can still remember the pictures even at points to this day. In 1837, Hans Christian Andersen wrote the book, The Emperor's New Clothes. That book is the story about an emperor who loved fashion. And every hour of every day, he loved to change clothes and put on different fashionable clothes for all to see. And he was always so proud of the clothes that he, that he wore. But one day, two swindlers came into town. And they came in with this material, this special cloth, that if you were unfit for office or you were... I hesitate to say this, but this is what the word was in the book. If you were unfit for office or you were stupid, you could not see the material. So as they, these two swindlers came into town and acted like they were tailors, they showed and told the story. If you're unfit for office or if you're ignorant, then you're not able to see this material. Look how beautiful this material is. And the emperor just went along with it thinking, surely someone in my uh, cabinet, one of the, the ministers in one of my offices, if you can't see that, would surely say something. But no one said anything. And the tailors then took their invisible material that wasn't even there, and they mimed cutting a pattern, and they mimed threading uh, the, the material together, and they cut it out, and they put it on this emperor to wear. And one day came the big day when there would be a procession through the city. And the emperor comes strolling into the city. And I remember this as as a child because he had on his, his crown and long flowing brown hair. And he had on what we used to call muscle man t-shirts some people call them wife beaters right now, but uh, you know the, the, the T-shirts with, that are sleeveless? That's a terrible name for a T-shirt, by the way. But uh, anyway, they, they, they put on, he had a T-shirt on like that, and then he had these big striped, long flowing boxers with, uh, it was just amazing because we got to that picture and we just crack up this guy's walking down the road. And finally, a child speaks up and says, he has nothing on. And they all realize the child is right. He has nothing on. I'm afraid in the Christian life, there are some who are pulling that fraud today. They, they call themselves Christians. They, they identify, and, and when it comes to asking about religions or denominations, they proclaim that they're a Christian. But there's something wrong with them. They have not put on the Christian character and virtues of Christ that Paul commands us to in Colossians chapter 3. So take your Bibles this morning and turn to Colossians chapter 3. And I want us to think about dressing for spiritual success, putting on the virtues that uh, we see listed for us in Colossians chapter 3. Notice with me in Colossians 3 and verse number 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies and kindness, 
humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And with that, let's pray. God, speak to us today. And Lord, for anyone who may not know you personally today, I I pray that they would be drawn to the truth of the Lord Jesus. But Father, I, I would imagine most of us are believers here today. We have received Jesus as our Savior. And may we put on the virtues that show we're followers of you. Our heart is right and we're walking with you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Colossians, Paul takes the first two chapters and challenges us to focus on Christ and put our faith in Christ. He shows us who Christ is in those opening two chapters of the book as he calls us to see that Jesus is fully God. He is the creator, sustainer, and he's the reconciler. That Jesus is the only way that a man can experience, a woman can experience, a student can experience a relationship with God is through being reconciled through the work of Jesus Christ. Then Paul begins Colossians chapter 3 and moves from doctrine to application. And he says at the very beginning in verse number 1 of Colossians 3, if then you were raised with Christ. He's talking to those who have been raised with Christ, those who have been forgiven of their sin, those who have trusted Jesus as their Savior, and now they have experienced a new resurrected life in Christ. If you've been raised in Christ, you're to seek the things that are above. You're to set your mind on the things that are above. Then he begins to move down, and and we looked last week that there are some certain things in verse number five that we are to put to death. We are to put to death sensual sins. There are death, there are, are certain sins that we are to put off like a, like a garment. We are to take these off. And those are social sins like hate and malice. So he says, look, as a new believer, as someone who's trusted Jesus in your life, if you're raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. You are to kill these sexual temptations to sin in your life. You are to put off the social sins of your life and put on the new man. Then he begins in verse number 12. to tell us that these virtues that we're to put on are are distinct and they go against the culture of the day. He tells us that we're to put on tender mercies and kindness, that we're to put on humility and meekness and long-suffering, that we're to bear with one another and we're to forgive one another, that these are going to be the marks of those who have been raised with Christ, who have trusted Jesus as their Savior. These are identifying pictures that you are in Christ. That word therefore that he begins with in verse number 12 links us back to say that you were living under the control of the old man, but now you have put the to death sins and you have taken off sins and now you have put on the new man. And as you have put on the new man, let me give you these Christian virtues that you are to add to your life. Therefore, he says, you're raised with Christ. You've trusted Jesus. You're putting on the new man. This is what I want you to do and this is how I want you to act. Now listen very carefully. 
As we talk about these virtues, these are not ways to earn favor with God and make it to heaven. There's no working to get to heaven. But because we know Jesus, we've been forgiven of our sin, we're assured of heaven, he tells us to put these virtues on so that others can tell we've been with Jesus, that we've come to know him, that our life has been changed. So first off, he gives the picture of believers in verse number 12. Therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, So he gives us the picture that first off, as believers, we are the elect of God. Now, when some people see this word, they, they, they can have one of two responses. Some people, uh, you know, relish in this word and some people kind of freak out at this word. But this is a Bible word and it's a, it's a fine word. Eclectos in, in the Greek is, is, is the word. It means to be chosen, to, to pick out, to elect. And, and the picture is, is that as believers, we recognize that God is sovereign over salvation. He is sovereign over our security in salvation as well. When I was a child, my pastor used to explain uh, election in this way. He used to say that there is a door of salvation and when someone hears the message of Jesus and they, they recognize the call of, of their sinfulness and the conviction of their sinfulness and the call to trust Jesus, there's a door and it says, enter by faith. And as you push through that door, entering by faith into salvation, then you turn back around and as the door closes, it says, I have chosen you. There is some aspect to mystery on how all of this plays. The, the challenge of man's responsibility and divine, uh, and divine sovereignty in this play of things. But here, he's not seeking to make an argument. He's just saying, this is who you are. And so I would just say to us today, trust God's sovereignty. Trust God's salvation. Trust God's security. And that's who he calls you. We're secure. Because a sovereign God has provided salvation for us. He says, you are elect of God. Then he says, you are holy. Holy. Now, you think, man, I, 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 I look at my life and, and, man, I had some thoughts that came into my mind this week that weren't holy. Or I watched something and it wasn't holy. Or I, I acted out this way in my life this week and it sure wasn't holy. But the truth is, is because of what Jesus has done for us, we stand before the Lord holy. Look back in chapter 1 and verse number 22. If you look at the last verse of verse 21, it says that, that uh, now that, that we have been, he has reconciled us. But in verse 22, we've been reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. The picture is, is that when I trust Jesus Christ as my savior, God looks down upon me and all the sin that I have ever committed or that I ever will commit is taken off of my life and placed on the cross. Now I stand before God in a right relationship without sin. But something else happens as well. That God takes all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and then he puts that on my account. So that when God looks at me, he says, I see the holiness of Jesus in you. So now what Paul is calling us to do is say, look, you need to live up to who you are. Put on the new man. You are one of God's elect. You are called to be holy. 
Last week I shared the story about somebody who would, who would go outside and they'd weed eat their yard and cut their grass and their shrubs and they'd come in all dirty and hot and sweaty or maybe somebody's working out at the gym and they get their clothes and they're all hot and they're dirty and they're sweaty and they take their clothes off and they jump into the shower. When you jump back out of the shower, do you put all your dirty clothes back on? Would you want to put those sweaty clothes back on again? The picture is, is now you're clean. That the Lord has declared that you're holy. He has made you holy. So now live up to what you've been called. And then he uses the word beloved. The word beloved. We are elect of God, holy and beloved. I have to admit, sometimes the joy of preaching is not necessarily just preaching. But the joy of preparing. And this week, as I just took that one word and meditated and thought of this. God loves me. I mean, I see all my mistakes and failures. I see all the times that I fall short. I see all the things that I'm not sometimes. I look at other guys and think, man, that guy is so talented and they can do so many things. But the truth is, God loves me. And God loves you as an individual of the six billion people in the world. God loves you. You may be struggling in a relationship right now and wonder, does does anyone really love me? Or you feel lonely today? Or you feel like you've been kicked to the curb? Does anyone love me? Can I tell you without hesitation and with exclamation, You're loved. You're loved. Let's think about this love just for a minute. Do do you realize that it was God who took the initiative to love you? 1 John 4, 19 says that we love him because he first loved us. God took the initiative to love us. Then as God took the initiative to love us, he sent his son. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only, or his only begotten son. God loved us so much that he sent his son. But God not only loved us so much that he took the initiative and he sent his son, but he sent his son to die for me as a sinner. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love toward us. In that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't die for you because you could bring something to him. You have no talent that's good enough, no 401k that's big enough, no education that, that he would be impressed with, but he loves you. And as a sinner, sent his son, but it goes even greater. He loved us and took the initiative and sent his son and sent his son to die for us as sinners. But then out of his love, he extended mercy to us. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. That's the picture of his love. That when I was dead, he showed me mercy. When I was sinful and astray and a rebel, he reached out with mercy to me. And then listen, As the sinful, enemy, rebellious, 
shaking my fist in the hand of God person. He then said, guess what? Out of my love, I'm going to save you and bring you into my family. 1 John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. I'm God's kid today. I've been brought into his family. Not because of anything I've done. The only thing I did successful in my life was sin and fail and look for a savior. And Jesus, as he reached out and took the initiative and went to the cross for me and showed mercy to me, when I received him, he took me home. He said, you're part of the family now. And now Romans 8, 38 and 39 says that there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ. Nothing. Nothing that happens in the present nor anything to come. Nothing. Height, depth, any created being. Angels, principalities, powers. There's no devil in hell. There's no circumstance. There's no issue in life that could ever separate me from God's love. And Jeremiah 31, 3 tops it off and says this. I have loved you with an everlasting love. This week on Thursday, I was at the hospital when uh, Carol Boyer, they took the life support off of her and she stepped into eternity. And I thought of that moment as much as her family loved her, that the Lord loved her and she was going to get to experience that love in a way that we could never even come close to understanding on this side of eternity, on this side of heaven. But at that moment, she got to see the Lord, the one who loves her and see him face to face. Now, out of gratitude of God saving you, of God making you holy, and of God loving you, he now says, not out of duty or drudgery, but out of response to this God who saved me, who made me holy, who loves me, he tells me then to put on these virtues. I told you last week, you know, my wife cares a whole lot more about what I wear than I typically do. And she has a reason for that. She says, I have to look at you all day, you know, so there is some truth to that. But when the boys were going to school, especially elementary school, and they'd pick out something that was, you know, a little funky in the matching department and didn't look right. And she'd say, I cannot send those kids to school looking like that. How would that reflect on me? as the mama of the family. It would, it would reflect poorly on me if I sent them to school looking like that. So now the Lord wants us to dress with these virtues on because our life as a believer reflects on him. So we think about the attire of the believers. Therefore, as the elect of God, as God's elect, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. We're going to move through these quickly. Put on tender mercies. The word tender mercies is, is made up of two words, actually, and it's a picture of a heart of compassion. 
It is, it's a Greek word that actually speaks about down deep in your gut. That you ought to have this deep-rooted, deep-seated conviction down deep in, in, in your gut that feels and shows compassion for others. Did you see about a month ago, a 65-year-old Asian woman in New York City was attacked right outside of an apartment building and the doorman at the apartment closed the door, people walking by, no one stopped to help. And the New York City police said, no one even called 911. You know what our world is full of? Apathy. And the word apathy and the word pathetic are not too far apart. That, my friends, is pathetic. Even if you didn't want to get involved, even if you didn't want to confront someone who was uh, beating up on an elderly, why wouldn't someone call the police? But no one did anything. This is the exact opposite of what Scripture calls us to when it says to have tender mercies. That we are to have a heart of compassion upon people. That that heart of compassion means that we show it. We not just have it, but we show it through our life. Tender mercies. Then secondly, he says, kindness. Tender mercies and then kindness. This talks about moral goodness. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, and be kind one to another. That we're to show kindness to others. That that we're to extend the the light and love of Jesus in, in just a kind, friendly way to others in our life. Tender-hearted and kindness. Then he gives the picture that we are to show humility. Humility. Now, in the Roman world, humility was nothing that people wanted. In the Roman world, it was all about ego. It was all about domination. It was all about pride. It was all about, if I had to step on you to get to the next level, ha ha, you got stepped on. And now Paul comes and says, look, though the the world is all about pride and domination and ego and making others look bad and exalting yourself, this is what I want from you, lowliness of mind. Not to think of you higher than you ought. You don't look down upon others. We're all made in the image of God. We are all bearers of God's image. And because of that, we do not look down with a snobbish nose and pridefully look upon those that are around us. This went against the grain. See, there's a difference between virtues and values. Oftentimes, the culture sets values. Values set by the culture in that day were, hey, Pride and, and being egotistical and being dominating. That was our value. But this is a biblical virtue. And it goes against the grain. And oh, how many people today, they want to always one-up somebody. They've always got to trump somebody. They've got to, to go higher, be better, be stronger, be smarter. It's a picture of pride. Then he says meekness. Humility and then meekness. Meekness is often confused with weakness, but it means completely different. Weakness is is just being weak. Meekness is having strength, but having that under control. Yesterday was uh, the Kentucky Derby. 
and you see these awesome uh, thoroughbreds as they're running. And they are strong, powerful animals. And yet, that jockey can come up to that horse and pet it and be nice to it. And they can move a rein just a little bit, and that horse will turn. That horse did not lose its strength. That horse is just meek. It has strength, a fiery, ferocious strength. But that strength is under control. Jesus was meek. He had all power. And yet, his power was placed under the control of the Father so that even as he went to the cross, he could have called thousands of angels down to destroy the whole Roman army. And yet, strength under control said, not my will, but thine. Next is long-suffering. Long-suffering. This is, this is having a long wick. This is not blowing your temper quickly. This is the, the opposite of somebody who's hot-headed or hot-tempered or has a short fuse. The picture with long-suffering is, is you're willing to be patient. You're willing to wait. You will suffer long. Instead of blowing a gasket, And getting fiery, there's a sense of calm. There's a sense of patience. You can wait. Again, strength under control. Some of us, throughout our life, we we have a tendency to be fiery. If you ever wonder about long-suffering... Just go drive 70 for a while and let's see how that works for you. Our 270, let's up the game and go to 270. The the picture is, is often when someone does something, our immediate reaction is to fire back, strike back. I walked out of the church office Friday afternoon and... uh, I was just going to go read my Bible under the pavilion for a few minutes. And there was a dude, he's probably older teenager. He's a pretty big kid. And he's riding a scooter. And that's fine. I didn't have any problem that he rode, was riding the scooter at, on the church parking lot at all. But uh, I went by and just said, hey, man, how you doing? And he dropped some cuss words on me and had some really ugly things to say to me. And I just had to bite my tongue and take a breath. First off, I was so startled by it that I just, I could not believe that, that this kid just said that to me. I mean, I didn't do anything. I just said, hey man, how you doing? And he went off on a tirade and I thought, all right, do I do something? I think I better not. I better just pray for him. I don't know what's going on in his life, but there's something far greater than me saying, hey, what's going on, man? It's long-suffering. It's not seeking to retaliate, which brings us to the next thought of bearing with one another. Forbearance. Forbearance means that I am willing to show restraint or tolerance. 
In, in our day today, we, we think of forbearance, and, and many of you, probably you think of forbearance, you're thinking of loans right now. Uh, student loans, they are, they are in forbearance. In other words, the, the lenders are showing restraint. They're not making you pay right now. They are, are showing restraint and they're being tolerant as we go through COVID. Now, as Paul talks about forbearance or bearing with one another, he's saying, look, you need to show restraint. People, when they persecute, people, when they are unkind, do not retaliate. Don't play into the flesh. Be careful on this. It's so easy for us to want to fight back. That's why James in James 1.19 tells us that we are to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Slow to wrath. Bearing with one another. We're to put these on. But then this last one, I, I just made it a different category altogether because I think it's so important. And that is the forgiveness of believers. It's part of this attire that we are to wear, but this picture of forgiveness is something that Paul even sets out and, and quantifies in the, in the verse. As he says that we are to bear with one another and we are to be forgiving one another, he then takes the example of Christ and points to him. If anyone has a complaint against you, even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. So we see the example. Jesus, the example in Luke 23, 34, he would say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And the picture is, is that Jesus, along the way of the crucifixion and along the way of the cross, this was something that was repeated He didn't just say it once, but as they put the nails in his hands, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. As they drop that cross into place, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. As people hurled insults and persecuted and ridiculed, it's Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. That's our example. And it was because of your sin and because of my sin that Jesus went to the cross. But then there's the exhortation that comes with this. That as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. This is not optional. That this is part of our attire as believers. And yet for some, they never will experience a productive, happy, spiritual life because of the unforgiveness and bitterness that they're holding on to today. Can I ask you, is there something that you're holding on to today that's keeping you from living a productive life for God tomorrow? Is there any unforgiveness in your heart today that's, that's like a, a ball and chain that's slowing you down? Pastor Eric Fitzgerald knew what it was to forgive. He was a pastor up in the North Georgia area and as he, his wife, June, was driving with their 19-month-old baby, her being pregnant at the time, she was hit and killed by a firefighter EMS driver who, uh, who was on his way home from work. He had had a 24-hour shift, had slept only 30 minutes, and just a few miles from his house, fell asleep, crossed over, hit and killed June and the unborn baby. Pastor Eric said, because I've been forgiven, I have to forgive, and reached out to this young man and began a relationship with him. That's forgiveness 
in action. Some of you, you you want to claim Christ. But we have to understand if we've been forgiven this way, then we have to forgive this way. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes some really bad things happen to people. Things that are just tragic. Things that I do not understand. Lies and the inflicting of wounds upon people's lives that just are so sordid and so sinful. But the Bible calls us that just as Jesus went to the cross and has forgiven us of sins, we are to be forgiving of others. Forgiven people are forgiving people. As I talked with someone after the first service, they said, pray for me. You know what I'm talking about. And I do. A very painful situation. And so I tell you today, maybe you can't come to the grips of just saying, boom, it's forget, for, I'm forgiving and forgetting today. But would you pray today? Lord, would you just at least put me in the posture of forgiveness and help me to take a little step today? And then a little step tomorrow until I come to that place where I can truly reconcile and get everything right in my walk with you. You're, you're not affirming what someone else did, but you're finding the grace to forgive, to let go. Hans Christian Andersen's book, The Emperor's New Clothes, had the story of an emperor who thought that he was dressed in this beautiful material and this beautiful tailored outfit. And it wasn't until a child looked at him and said, he has nothing on did he realize that they'd all been taken? But it's interesting the way this story ends. Hans Christian Andersen was just uh, uh, very insightful. It says, after the child said he has nothing on and the crowd realized it, it says the emperor shivered for he suspected they were right. But he thought this procession has got to go on. So he walked more proudly than ever, as his noblemen held the train that wasn't there. You have the opportunity to walk out of here and say with pride, yep, I got it all on, I'm good. Or you can receive and say, Lord, I don't show that long-suffering. So God, I, I, through the power of your spirit, would you dress me in tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and long-suffering and forbearance and forgiveness? If not, if you're not wearing the virtues of Christ, you're just putting on a religious show. with that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the conviction, Lord, that I've just felt this week, and the challenge I felt this week. Lord, move, move in this place. Lord, if anyone doesn't know Jesus, would you open their eyes to the truth of who he is? Lord, for us as believers, may we put on the virtues that you call us to, 
And Lord, if there's anyone especially struggling in that area of forgiveness today, through your great grace and through your forgiveness, through your conviction and through your encouragement, may weights be let go today and forgiveness be granted in the name of Jesus. Amen.